Well, good morning. It's, um, it's really, really special to be here. And on behalf of my bride, Nancy, and I, we're grateful. Um, we love you very, very much. Uh, thank you for the hammers for inviting us up. It means a lot. Um, thank the rest of you for showing up. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, I, nobody asked me. And uh, how bad can it get, though? Really? I'll be gone shortly. So, <laughs> uh, it's uh, you know the whole the whole process here is it said we we are we call it financially retiring. Uh, you know we've been here for 15 years. It's been a long time since we've been with our our children and grandchildren, and and uh, we're looking forward to getting back with them and being able to teach them about the Lord uh, more and more and, and influence them in any way that we can. And it's a uh, it's a gift and. And you are a gift, and it's bittersweet because we love the church here, uh, the L.A. church, and all of you. I tell people I don't wake up happy in the morning. I mean, I'm excited about going home, but um, there's, there's so much richness in being here. And I, I want to say, first of all, um, these guys... When I came here in 2000, uh, Andy Fleming, brother, great brother, was here at the time, and he asked me, "So, would you? I want you to oversee the teens, the preteens." And uh, and that was in 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 March of 2000, and I said, "Okay." And and uh, he said, "By the way, we have a camp in July, and nothing's been done." <laughs> I'd never been to camp in my life. <laughs> The first year or so were, were really, really something. And I thought, well, I'm going to do this. Uh, I didn't expect what it would do for me. Um, you know, they call me Grandpa Shark. Those that don't know, there's a song that we sing, Baby Shark, Mama Shark, Papa Shark, Grandpa. And, and about probably about 13 years ago, I just became that. I have T-shirts that say Grandpa Shark. I have ball caps. I mean, it's who I am. It's my persona there. And frankly, it's become the best part of me. Um, I love the kids. They've given me far more than what I ever have. And I want to say to you parents, thank you for trusting me with them. I worked hard in the Lord uh, to live up to that trust. And you've got wonderful children that are precious in the sight of God and with me. And uh, whatever I gave to them, I got back a hundred times as much. And uh, I tell you what, I'll never forget you know, what, what gift I've been given. So I just want to say thank you very much for that. Um, it's great being here in Santa Clarita. We loved living here. We weren't here for that long. Um, it's good to see all of our friends, Scott and Tara Vance. We love them very much. We used to live in the same Bridgeport sort of neighborhood at that time. Uh, that was a number of years ago. That's when the majority of Scott's wardrobe was made of spandex. <laughs> It was an interesting time. Um, <laughs> and you got a you, you got a marriage retreat coming. Those that know me, marriage means so much, you know, to Nancy and I. And we work hard, marriage and family parenting and all the things that we do. And love marriage retreats. And I encourage if all of you can go every time you go, it's worth it. Uh, go with the heart to really, really, really learn. 
and, and give. And you know what? Because, because coming up, we're, we're having ours actually with the Inland Empire and Lighthouse we're sharing. We're going to be down in, in, in that same area in the desert cities next weekend. And uh, uh, the Fergusons, Gordon and Teresa, are going to be teaching there. So Nancy and I are going to learn and have a great time. And, uh, but I love marriage. And I tell you what, since that, I'm going, to, I'm going to go off track just a little bit this morning, if you don't mind. Because you don't even know what the track is. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that I do, but... Uh, but you know, I heard a story a little while, while ago about a little boy that was, uh, you know, he, was, he had gone to Sunday school and his, um, you know, it, he, was, he was captivated by the story because the story was the, the creation and, and talked about how God put Adam to sleep and he took a rib out of his side and he made Eve. And he was just fascinated by that story, you know. And, and uh, anyway, you know, some days later, his mom went in and uh, found him laying on the floor with, you know, with a look of, you know, what, what something was wrong, and she said, "Are you okay?" He said, "He said, yeah, but I, I got this. I got a pain in my side. I think I'm going to have a wife." <laughs> all right, all right. I'm, I'm an equal opportunity guy, though. But let me tell you this. Why did God create Eve? Good question. Because after he created Adam, he stepped back and took a look and said, I can do better than that. I'm seeing people here that I never thought I'd see. Look at that. Keith Shear is here. He's been here for a bit, I guess. Keith was in Chicago. We were in Chicago together, and Keith discipled our second son, Kevin, when he was in high school. Kevin's now 43 years old. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Run into Sherry and Graham from Toronto. Um, the kingdom's a wonderful place. But I want to take just a minute because I, I, I got something that's so much on my heart. And you know, this will be good for all of you. It's, it's, it's aimed at marriage, but for all of you younger people as well, I think this is something to understand because there's some, there's some scriptures in the Bible that, that cause us sometimes concerns. You've all read some, right? Uh, and there's one in marriage in Ephesians 5, you know. It's the one that every, every husband has underlined and highlighted. You know what I'm talking about. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord and everything, right? And that fires you up, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. What if I tell you, I'm, I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to give you a perspective on that that's going to absolutely help you, and you're going to appreciate what God's talking about. How do you feel about that? Okay. You know, I don't get much original thought. It's really interesting. I really don't. But I was a few years back, and I've I think about marriage a lot. I think about it when I'm reading the Bible. And I was reading through the, 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 the Genesis account of creation. And a thought occurred to me in there that makes a lot of sense. And the more I think about it, and the more I teach about it, the more I talk about it, the more sense it makes. But it really, it'll help. Because when you go, go back to the, to the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, you know, when, you know, in the beginning, the earth was void. It was nothing. Every day. The complexity of God's creation grew. 
I mean, it started out, the, you know, the earth was formless, void, water, da, 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 and then, you know, then God separated the earth and the water and all that stuff, and then eventually, then, then it went to vegetation. All of a sudden, I mean, that's a huge leap forward in complexity. There's actually some form of life that's taken place, you know. And then later, animals and birds and, and fish and all this stuff. I mean, the complexity is growing with, with these days of creation. Then, man. The one with the mind and the heart would do all this kind of stuff. But, but there was one more level of complexity. Woman. And then God does something stunning. He takes his most complex creation and places her under the authority of a less complex creation, which begs us to ask the question, let me help you. There is no question in my mind that that scale is right. Everything got better and better and better, and I believe a woman is God's most wonderful creation. The, the pinnacle. He saved the best for last. And everybody knows, science knows, we understand, there's a real difference emotionally between a man and a woman, right? Women are much deeper emotionally. They go deep, and those emotions are also very much on the surface. And there's a lot of reasons for that that I don't understand. One that I absolutely understand is babies. A woman, a new mom, can, can connect with a baby in a way that we as husbands, we love them to death, but we can only look and go, wow. It's crucial. But with that depth of emotion and how, how, how it's on the surface... A woman is very vulnerable to hurt. And this is where we get really kind of messed up here in our thinking. Because we think the authority, the, the, the submission thing is about authority. It's actually, I don't believe that it is. I don't believe that's what God has in mind. Because God created men and women differently. Now how many here, let me, let me help, I'm going to help the brothers out here and the sisters as well, but... How many sisters have talked to your husbands and said, why don't you understand me? Okay, all right. And the look back from your husbands is what? There's no question in our minds we'll believe that God created a woman exactly, exactly the way he wanted her to be in his mind's eye. But he also created man to be who he wanted him to be in his mind's eye. I absolutely believe without hesitation, with full conviction, that God created men so they cannot go where a woman goes emotionally. It's not a matter of can they, they work at it. Because God doesn't want two people in that house. Right? There's a difference between us. A man, it's interesting. We can get hurt. Our feelings can get hurt. We can get hurt badly. There's no question about that. But there's a point in time in how God created us. There's a point in time you go, you sort of, well, okay, it's over with. You shake it off and you go back about your business. Those same arrows hit a woman and they can cause scars that go deep and never 
ever go away. So what I am convinced God is doing, he says, I am taking you, my, my most perfect, my most precious, my most vulnerable. I like that term better than weaker. I don't think that's what it's talking about. And I'm, I've created a safe place for you. Under his protection. Because if there's arrows flying, I want him to get hit. And not you. Now, interesting for husbands. We are supposed to be the protectors. We are the warriors. We are, we are the shield. Then who's the first one we should protect our wives from? It's us. Who can cause the greatest hurt? Those that are closest to you. I believe my responsibility to my amazing wife is to provide an environment within which she can become everything that God intended for her to be. That if there's one place in this world that she's safe, it's with me. Because if she doesn't have that place, there is no place. Sisters, how do you feel about that submission thing now? Okay. Okay. I really believe that's what it's about, and it's misused, it's misunderstood. Women feel like they're less. Absolutely not. They're more in a lot of ways. And God's created something very special, and if it works right, you know, and it's never perfect on either part of us. But I want you to understand, next time you're thinking of saying to your husband, why don't you understand me, thinking, okay, God, I get it. I got sisters that can talk. I can talk to them about this, okay? And then you don't get that deer in the headlights look back from the guy that just wants to melt into something, you know. Okay, that was a freebie. That was a freebie. Um, You know, we've been here for, um, you know, we came in 2000. It was, you know, the, the, the intro that we heard a little bit ago. Um, I look at my watch like that makes a difference. But, it's, okay, it's, it's the second. It'll still be that when I leave. I'm good. <laughs> Fifteen years ago, or year 2000 almost, it was January of, of uh, 2000, so we're almost at the 15-year mark, uh, when... When we got a call um, early in January of that year, Nancy and I were in Chicago where we expected to be the rest of our lives, our ministry lives, and we grew up in Chicago. Got a call from Marty Fuqua saying, can you guys fly out to, uh, to L.A. and meet with us? Okay. <laughs> we got on a plane early as we could get a, get a ticket, and we flew out, and... Uh, uh, and Marty and Chris, you know, just talked to us and made an appeal. There's a need, and we really like for you to move out here. And uh, and then two weeks later, we were here. <laughs> we, it was it was a, it was something. It was it was very different in those days in a lot of ways. And you seen that that's kind of radical. I mean, we had a, you know, we had a lot going on. We we actually were in the process of buying a house. Nancy had just, uh, and her sister had just talked her parents into moving back to Chicago area 
from uh, Florida where they had retired a number of years earlier because they're, they're getting older and their health was declining. And so instead of being there, uh, we came out here. And it was, you know, you say, well, that's pretty, that's pretty radical. There was no question about it. It was, and it was challenging. But interestingly, in those days, that's a lot of what we were known for. What a disciple was, someone who will go anywhere and do anything, give up everything for the sake of the Lord. And, you know, a lot of us, a lot of, a lot of you here know our story. When we became Christians, uh, we were 31 years old at the time, and, and uh, uh, our marriage was about over. Um, we had a divorce lawyer, and we had a buyer for our house. We had that whole, the whole thing. It was, it was done. But God had other plans, and he put us in the right place, and we were seeking. We didn't know what to do. We felt lost and hopeless in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden there was, there was a Bible, and it had, in, had insights in it that we had no idea, even though we'd been religious all of our lives. And in 1978, you know, we were baptized into Christ, and, uh, and everything changed. It wasn't quick. It wasn't easy. We didn't get there in a day. We weren't going to move out of it in a day. There was a lot of pain that had to be healed and a lot of teaching. But I felt hope for the first time in a long, long, long time that there really was answers. And this, this you know, God, God is there and he can do more than I can imagine. He's not limited by my imagination. He's who he is. He says everything is possible with me. And so, you know, but, but at that time we felt all this. And, and from that point, you know, we just said we'll do anything for this gift of love, this gift of of hope and salvation that's been given to us, whatever you want, Lord. It was really something. We saw people doing amazing things with their lives and people's hearts changing and lives being turned around and the lost being saved. And we wanted to be part of that. If this is who God is, then, then sign us up and we want to be there. That's why we move so quickly. We trusted the people that God put in our life. Not that they're perfect. You think it's interesting. Now, how can you trust? How do you trust that much? I mean, before, before we were, and that was the, I was in the ministry at that time. I, I, I was serving as an elder in Chicago, but, you know, I, I had a career before that. I was a hospital vice president. Nancy was a pediatric nurse, and we were asked to leave that and become interns in the, in the Chicago church, and we did because what, of what God did for us. If this is where we want to go, if this is what it is, then, then sign us up. And you know what? Something happened a while back in, in, in my life. I hope you're not looking for a three-point sermon here. Because I, my life is still on point one. <laughs> uh, but I had this, these things happen as God does stuff, you know, for me and in your life, and we were we we're in Chicago, and we were actually coming. Uh, we were in Kansas City for some church events, part of the Midwest Ministries, and and I had this woman come up to me, and she wanted to meet me, and she said, "John, oh, I'm so I just so anxious to meet you. So I, I've I called you, and I, you know I talked to you, and you gave me advice on a situation in their family, and I did exactly what you said, and it worked out great. You know, thank you so much. Now I'm feeling pretty good about myself at that moment, right? I should have left it there. But I said to her, you know what, I get a lot of calls. I can't really, I'm really sorry, which happens. You know, I, I don't remember exactly what it is. Can you refresh me? And so she told me what the situation was that she called me about. And then she told me the advice that I gave her. 
Thank God he erased it all from my memory. All I can remember is I'm looking at her. I feel the blood draining from my face. Perspiration is coming out. All I could think of, I can't believe. I, told, and I, I believe that she was telling me the truth. Man, I just, it's wherever I was at the time when, I, when she called me. But I, it, I'm thinking that's the worst advice I could ever imagine giving anybody. I just want to be able to finish this conversation so I can leave and hope she doesn't tell anybody that I told her those things. Because there's an interesting thing being an elder. I mean, people come to you and ask you questions, and you realize there's a lot of weight that goes with what you say. And there was times I I struggled sleeping, thinking, what if I don't tell them the right thing? And I just found out that I really did that probably a lot more times than this one. So, I mean, what does God think about that? I picture God when he's up there, Okay, this woman's being faithful. She's doing all the right things. Calls this elder up, you know, doesn't even know, trusting, all this kind of stuff. And then I say what I said. I picture God going. (laughs) And he's looking at her. This woman did everything right. Trusted, loved, sought advice, given her heart, trusting. I think God's looking at her thinking, Okay, for you, I'm going to make that work. (laughs) Okay. The lesson to me, I don't have to be perfect. And nobody is. God says, I work all things together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. It's not right to expect somebody to be right all the time. But God wants to know, how are you? How trusting are you? What if this doesn't feel good? Sometimes God's input doesn't feel good at the time. It really doesn't. You just got to look at the Bible. And you got to look at what happened there. And God says stuff like this that I would read. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Self-denial. The mark of a Christian. You cannot. And you cannot. That was supposed to be a joke. Didn't work. Okay. (laughs) If anyone comes after me and does not give up everything he has, he cannot be my disciple. Wow, we look at those things and they're oppressive. They're like, they're like the kids have no to everything all the time. You know, you just, what are you supposed to live? You're supposed to live in a corner or up in a mountain and, and that. What does that mean? And then there's so many wonderful passages in the Bible in Matthew 13, 44 and 45. This little, little, little story here. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Little story. Guy's walking along every day through this field, and all of a sudden, whatever he saw was like, wow, I have to have this. And he buries it again, and he hides it, and he runs home, and he's got to buy that field. And he finds out how much that field costs. And he's looking at what he has. 
okay, okay, I've got to get rid of this, got to get rid of that. I can sell this. I can do this. I can sell this. You know, he gets those things. Maybe he's looking at this heirloom that was passed down for generations in his family that he loves. He struggles for a moment. He thinks about the treasure and says, nope, gone. The house, gone. Bank accounts, gone. Whatever I got, it's gone. If I can have that, then he buys that field. And he runs. And he finds that treasure and he says, for whatever I had before, I got this now. And this is better than all of that. Goes on to talk about a pearl merchant. Again, the kingdom of heaven, like a merchant looking for fine pearls, when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Same story, repeated, different scenario, but the same principle. I go after pearls, I'm doing this, and I see this one. It's like, whoa, man. It'll cost me all that I have. But I love the statement in, that, in, in the previous verse that just says, then in his joy, he sold. That's what God's talking about. That when we put the Lord, when we understand who he is, when we put him in the position that he deserves to be in for what he's done for you and for me, You look around your house, I don't need this, I don't need this, I don't need this. Give a tithe, a tenth, only a tenth? Seriously? Got it. When we have him in the right place, that self-denial thing isn't at all, isn't all like we thought it would be. If I can have this. You know, the amazing thing shows those people, they're walking along thinking, there's this treasure for me, the kingdom of heaven. If I can get in, I can have it all. Let's flip that story around a little bit. It's Jesus walking along. And he sees a treasure. For me to have that treasure, It will cost me everything. The treasure he found is you and me. Everything he had. Home in heaven. Left it. To try and convince us that he loves us. And there's nothing he would hold back. And we struggle so much. Looking for ways that we can consider it okay to say to God, isn't it amazing to visualize sometimes looking in his eyes if he's looking right at you from the cross? At you? You're feeling all bad? And he's saying it's worth it? You're worth it for me? 
when we became Christians, and I'm not saying we were perfect. Listen, we struggled like everybody else, and we labored with these things, and they're good to labor with because it, it forces you to get back and think, am I what I need to be for God? I want him to feel the love and see the love that I have. And God will test us. We keep thinking that Christianity is going to be fun all the time and it should be fun. The church isn't fun. Therefore, what's, where, where's God in this whole thing? We do that. Somebody says something to us, makes us uncomfortable. That's not Christianity. Well, you know, you ought to read the Bible. <laughs> Jesus made a lot of people pretty upset. Enough that they killed him. But he said it because he loved them and he wanted them to hear the truth. We need to make sure that we have people in our lives that will tell us the honest truth. And we need to love people enough to be honest with them. We're so concerned sometimes about everybody liking us that we will water down the gospel of Jesus so much that it really doesn't make a difference in anybody's life. But you look at the prophets, you look at, look at the apostles, you look at the people that Jesus raised up to make a difference in this world. And I'm telling you what, they were not popular a lot of the times. But they saved a lot of people. And they made a difference. And we moved out here and had this amazing, you know, it was hard leaving. It was hard for Nancy not being there for her mom and dad when they came back from Florida. But if we hadn't done that, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have the relationships and the blessings that God's given us. I wouldn't have had the camp. I wouldn't have had one of the greatest gifts that God's ever given me in that camp and those kids. And we've moved other times because there was a need. And we committed to God over and over again. And I, it's a funny thing. I had this word in my, in my mind all the time because I, I would use the term, I want to be a player in, in the right way. It was like, because of God. <laughs> I would think, what if God needs somebody to do something? And he'd say, well, no, no, they can't, they can't, they can't. John and Nancy, they'll, they'll do it. That's what I wanted him to feel. And I know I struggled at times, and I know I didn't respond the best all the time. But thank God, ultimately we did. I think, you know, we did pretty good. And, and the blessings that came again and again from keeping him where he needs to be in my life. Looking him in the eyes and saying, I'm doing my best. Our children, I want them to see, and we go to, go to St. Louis and be around our grandchildren. Our days aren't done. I, I, we call it financially retiring. We're, we're, but I'm going to do, and Nancy said, we're going to do what we do as Christians. And we're going we're to be there for our grandchildren to influence and help and teach them. And our children to make sure they stay faithful to God. It's who we are. Passage in Mark 8:36. What good is it for man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What if you get everything you want here? What if you have your life just the way just the way you want it? But the cost is that kingdom. I guarantee you, at the end, nothing you have will be worth it. Philippians 1, 22 through 26, Paul's writing from prison. He says, if, I could, if, I, if I'm to go on living, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. 
But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Romans 14.8 says, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or whether we die, we belong to the Lord. Paul is having this amazing little conversation with himself. Should I live or should I die? Ever have that one? What would we say? We're going with the living side, right? I mean, that's just where we are. Paul's got this fascinating, if I live, what would it be? I don't know. If I had my choice, and we don't have that choice, right? If I had my choice, I would die right now and be with the Lord, which is better by far. Now, Paul had a little advantage. If you go back to, to 1 Corinthians 12, when Paul's talking about, he says, I know this man, you know, whether, whether in the body or out of the body, you know, he's talking in third person. Turns out he's actually talking about himself. He identifies that shortly after that. But he says he was taken, caught up in the third heaven. Interesting little thing. Three of them. Third heaven. You ever hear that one? You know what that is? It's pretty easy, actually. First heaven's where the birds fly. Second heaven, where the stars and the universes are. The third heaven, that's the big one. That's God's place. He says, I was caught up there. Saw inexpressible things. That's when he was given a thorn in the flesh so he wouldn't be conceited because of all that he saw. But he had a glimpse. God allowed this man to have a glimpse. Just a glimpse. And he was there, man. If I could go there today, I'm on it. We think, well, show me that spot. What was the price that Paul paid to be able to see, to see that? It cost him his life, devotion and dedication to his, to his Lord. So we're glad he did it, and he can tell us about it. We just got to believe it. The question we have is whether we believe. Do I believe that God's involved in my life and that God is giving me everything that I need, that he will take care of me no matter what it feels like here on earth if I just trust him? You know, there's a story in the Old Testament about Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn of Isaac, had the birthright. That's the way it was in those days. I'm the youngest of five. I would have no standing. (laughs) Nothing. There's nothing left by the time it gets to me. But in those days, the firstborn got the birthright. Esau was out hunting, you know, he's a hunter, and came back, and Jacob was making stew for dinner, and Esau was, was just he was hungry, and he says, give me some of that stew, and Jacob, Jacob looks at him and says, well, if you sell me your birthright, you got it, and he did. Later realized what he'd done. That birthright was everything. I think sometimes you're late, and I know you kids do, you want to be so much like everybody else, and I get that. I want to wear what they wear. I want to do what they do, and I'll do, and I'll compromise, and I'll do this. Parents, you know, well, we can't really afford it. I can't tithe if I buy this house, but, you know, we really need that. We need that house. We need that bigger house. You know, my parents lived in a small one. We need 4,000 square feet. <laughs> need a new car. I need all this kind of stuff. I can't do all the things I did for God, but doggone, we got this. We will sell our birthright for something of much less value. Jesus says, when he comes back, will he find faith? Will he find those that trust him?
that live a different life, that walk a different walk, that become somebody very different than the people around them. You know, there's a story. Um, you, you've all seen the movie The Polar Express. Great movie, right? Remember that he couldn't hear that bell until what? He believed in Santa. And it says later on in his life, after he grew up, became, you know, settled and had his family, whatever he did, he said, the bell stopped ringing. But while that bell was ringing, while he heard that bell, his life was magic. He got on the train. He experienced amazing things, exciting and, yes, even frightening. But his life was anything but dull. And we wanted him to hear that bell. We wanted him on that train. We wanted him to be part of the adventure. But i got to ask you, when's the last time you heard the bell ring? When's the last time you believed so strongly that there was no limits to what you would do and where you would go? The blessings God has given us for everything we've given up can't even be counted. And you're part of that for us. We love you and love being here. We're moving to be closer to our family. But our life continues. I want to leave a mark until the day God calls me home. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and we've had them all through our lives, spiritually, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easily entangled. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, He bought the field. He sold everything. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Brothers and sisters, you have no idea what you can accomplish in this life. It may be different than you expect, but if you hear that bell ringing, And you're in the adventure, wherever it goes. You'll be amazed at what God can do with you. I want to finish up with a poem. I've read this before, probably even here. I've had this for years, and I love this thing. And then I'll finish up after this. It's called The Road of Life. It says, At first, I saw God as my observer and my judge keeping track of the things that I did wrong so as to know whether or not I merited heaven or hell when I die. He was out there sort of like a president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I really didn't know him. But later on, when I met Jesus, it seemed as though life were rather like a bike ride, but it was a tandem bike. And I noticed that Jesus was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know exactly when it was when he suggested that we change places. But life has not been the same since. When I had control, I knew the way. It was rather boring, but predictable. 
It was the shortest distance between two points. But when he took the lead, he knew delightful long cuts up mountains and through rocky places at breakneck speeds. It was all that I could do to hang on. Even though it looked like madness, he just said, pedal. I was worried and anxious, and I asked, where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer. I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into the adventure. And when I'd say I'm scared, he just leaned back and touched my hand. He took me to people with gifts, gifts that I needed, gifts of healing and acceptance and joy. They gave me gifts to take on my journey, my Lord's and mine. And we were off again. And he said, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did to the people we met. And I found that in giving, I received. And still our burden was light. I didn't trust him at first in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it. But he knows bike secrets. He knows how to make it bend to take sharp corners. How to jump to clear high, high rocks. He knows how to fly to shorten scary passages. And I'm learning to shut up and pedal <laughs> in the strangest places. And I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face with my delightful, constant companion, Jesus Christ. And when I'm sure I just can't do any more, he just smiles and says, pedal. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you.